0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio.
1: Welcome to Launchpad on Business Radio, SiriusXM XM 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach entrepreneurship, product management, and product design. We're going to jump right in. My first guest this week is Randy Goldberg, who's the co-founder and chief brand officer of Bombas. And before we get started, I'm just going to give you the URL. It's Bombus, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com. Bombus.com. Randy, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you. And thank you for spelling
1: out the URL. It's great. Although you don't really need to. It's a great brand. So, you know, I, I do that. people get it wrong?
0: <laughs> um, I, I think in this day and age, it's hard to not find a company online. So yeah, I'm not yeah,
1: That's true. All right. We'll circle back on that in a minute because you are chief brand officer. But before we do so, just give us the elevator pitch for those few people who don't know what Bombas is all about. Give us the pitch.
0: Yeah. um, Bombas is we started out making socks and donating a pair of socks for every pair that you sell. And now we make socks, T-shirts, slippers and underwear and still donate an item to shelters and organizations across the country um, who help people experiencing homelessness so for every item you purchase we're donating an item we were company that was born with the idea of doing something in the communities where we all work and live helping to give back and making the highest quality versions of the things that you put on first in the morning and take off last at night that first layer of clothing that has the biggest impact on your everyday comfort
1: so give us the origin story did you start with an obsession for socks or did you say, Hey, I want to, I want to, um, uh, I have a social mission here. What could we do?
0: Well, it started, I was uh, my co-founder, Dave, who I think you've spoken to uh, Yeah, a couple uh, years ago. Yeah. There you go. Great. So Dave and I, we were working together at a company and we would talk about ideas, but we weren't, you know, hell bent on starting a sock company or even a mission-based company. But one day he saw Facebook campaign that Salvation Army was doing and the campaign was a sock drive and it said that socks are the most requested clothing item in homeless shelters. So he asked me, did you know this? And I didn't. And we were sort of curious. It just sounded, you know, we we just didn't understand. So we called um, a a shelter here in New York where we both live and we asked them, Eric, is this true? And they said, yeah, you know, we don't let people donate used socks for hygiene reasons. And if you're sleeping on the street, a fresh pair of socks means a lot. Maybe you're washing your clothes less frequently, foot hygiene issues come up, you have to walk. It it sort of was a light bulb. We were like, wow, this is something that we wear every day, maybe haven't thought about, you know, for 10 minutes in your life. And this is a major issue for our homeless neighbors. So we thought about this and we're like, okay, we want to help. And we donated some product. And then eventually we rounded back to the idea that Hey, you know, maybe there's an idea here, this one-for-one business model that, you know, Tom's at the time was a really successful company and doing really well. Our friends at Warby Parker had just started their company and they were a mission-based company. We're like, you know, I think that there's a really good fit for this business model with this product. And then we started to think about socks and we got really excited, which sounds weird, but socks just seemed like they hadn't changed in 50 years, 100 years. And we just the idea was pretty simple, you know, take something. We want to donate a lot of socks. How are we going to do that? We're going to sell a lot of socks and how are we going to do that? We're going to make the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. It took us two years product development to fix the things that we thought were broken in a product that we had never really thought about before. So we approached it with a consumer lens. We launched a crowdfunding campaign and then we put up a website and then we were kind of off to the races and that was 2013.
1: Yeah. It's a great story. You know, honestly, it's pretty rare that I talk to a, a company that purports to be mission driven where the mission is actually where they started. So that's the, I love this story. It's it. And I guess the lesson, maybe you can comment on this is it's really hard to fake authenticity, but, but if you start with that, as the mission, it, it's also hard to question the authenticity.
0: Absolutely. It's like learning a foreign language, right? It's much easier when you're young. It's the same thing like this, right? You know, for us, adding on a mission later is harder, but if you build your business around it, and if you look at your unit economics, understanding that you're going to do this, and you build your company around this as an idea and a commitment, you get people who come and want to work on it. You get people who want to put more into it. You build a model that is developed with this from the start, and it's you you can't take this out of Bombas. If you remove the mission, we would cease to exist as a company. It's in our bylaws. We're a B Corp. We've built a whole division around getting product to shelters and organizations in all 50 states where we donate. Uh, It's intricately involved in every aspect of who we are as a company. It's why we're here and everyone at our company knows that and understands that and puts it first. And I think that's why it feels authentic because then we try and communicate that to our customers and let them know that, hey, we're doing this work on your behalf and your support means that this is happening and it's real, we promise, here's the proof.
1: All right, that's great, that's a great lesson. All right, well, in what is not the weirdest thing about me, um, I keep. I only have one type of sock. Of which I have about 300 pairs, and I keep them in a five-gallon, in several five-gallon uh, uh, Home Depot buckets, um, because on. I just, yeah, no, I'm serious. Yeah, you find, tuxedo and uh, running, I'm wearing the same socks, and and they are the defeat woolly bullies, which happen to be just the sock I converged on 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Um, Wow. However, okay. they're wearing out. They're wearing out, Randy. So I'm looking Uh-oh. for uh, a replacement.
0: But, but so tell me what makes for a great. It product. Seems like a big um, lifetime value opportunity for us. You know, for your absolutely three, <laughs> at least once every twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> great. We'll take three hundred <laughs> pairs once every twenty years. You're, you're yeah. in. Um, that's great. So, okay. Sorry, I was just distracted by this. this is I made this visual of your your Home Depot buckets and your same socks for running in tuxedos? But what was the question here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what makes for a great sock? Oh well. So See, this is the thing. I'm never do people. Uh, I'm always like, do people really want to hear about the details? But for us, you know, it started. We're we're consumers, right? So we weren't in the fashion industry and. Speaking the language of socks, which was always, you know, 12 pairs in a plastic bag and dozens for pennies and things like that. For us, it was sort of, all right, here's a sock. What's wrong with it? It feels scratchy. Why is that? Well, they use a short staple length cotton, which is cheaper. So it wears out faster and it creates that feeling. You get all these little short fibers and that feels scratchy and it's not. But we're like, okay, can you use long staple cottons and wools in your socks? Sure. And then, all right, what about this seam? And what about this heel, right? Okay, the ridge on the top of the socks, why is that there? Is there a better way to do that? Well, it turns out there is. And then for the calf, how how tight should they be? Well, they should stay up but not fall down but not leave a mark. So all of these different variables, we kind of identified seven material improvements to make. And, you know, all of these things, some of these features are available on high-end socks and other places, right? or in super premium, like cycling sock or running sock, you can find it. But no one had taken all of these features, put it into one package, and made it at an affordable price for everyday use as well. And I think what we found is, you know, we're not expecting our customers to remember the name of the honeycomb arch support or a Y stitched heel or a seamless toe. But when you put on our sock, we want you to think, okay this feels better and i feel more supported and you know when i open my drawer and there's not a pair of bombas on the top i'm a little pissed off and i need to order some more and the feel that's the feeling that we're designing into is the feeling that we're making a product that feels better than anything you could have expected and that's the philosophy right little things add up to make big improvements and i think that also maps nicely to our mission as well, right? Mm -hmm. Where you think, okay, I'm buying a pair of socks. They're donating a pair on my behalf to somebody, but what does a one pair of socks do for someone? Well, it's a moment of an interaction, right? You're potentially using that pair of socks to meet somebody, to learn their name, to sort of gain some trust, to talk to them, to show them that you care. And these things can lead to bigger ideas and help people Mm -hmm. along in their path. We hear this from the shelters and the organizations we donate product to all the time. And the the knock-on effects of that are are real. And then you multiply that by a hundred million donations and that's a movement. So what makes a great pair of socks? Well, higher quality, a lot of intention, thoughtful details or something that's been an afterthought for a long time, and then a commitment to use that to help make a real impact in the communities where we work and live
1: okay, Randy so um let me ask the hard question um, so even even so we got two sock geeks here socks are a relatively low involvement product for for most people and and we're honestly we're not curing world hunger here in terms of uh, bringing the world a better a better sock and yet as you said, you've created a movement and really your whole career if I read it correctly has been about building brand you're the chief brand officer so. Yeah. Talk about, teach us how do you create a movement around a, around a low and relatively low involvement product?
0: Right. I think that was kind of part of the opportunity, right? Like I said, stocks were an afterthought for most people, right? You're not curing world hunger. Stocks were an afterthought for the companies that were making them, right? They were an afterthought. Like even the companies that sell the most socks in the world didn't seem to care about the product. But by putting a little bit of intention, you turn something that is a low consideration, you know, low involvement product for most people, and you turn it into something that they feel like maybe ruins all their other socks, which is what we hear from our customers. Mm -hmm. Like, I want more of this. This has a bigger impact on my day and how I feel and how comfortable I am than anything else that I wear. And I could have never guessed that. So that was the opportunity. But then for us to turn that into a community-based idea, that was, the intention was if we can do something great and get people to care about the quality of the product and then prove that it actually matters on the mission side and we're doing the work on their behalf and we're helping them make make a difference, that combination of those two things is really powerful. If you just had a great quality sock, you're right. You know, people may not care. And if you just had a mission to donate socks since a charity, people just may not care. But you put those two things together and you tell the right story around that, and you find people and meet them where they are with that idea, that starts to turn into something. And when I say it's a movement, we started by donating one pair of socks and then two pairs. And if you think about the idea that we, you know, people who are buying our products have helped support 100 million items donated, that's 100 million opportunities to connect with somebody who's having a hard time. And it may not be solving everything for them, but it is meaningful. And when we volunteer our time and when we talk to members of the the people who are facing homelessness, who are experiencing it at the moment, who have been there, they say, these are the things that are meaningful. What they want from people is compassion. They want people to care. They want people, they want some thought put into their life a little bit. And this does that. In addition, it helps the charities and the organizations do other things with their money, and that's also really important because these are the people who are working every day to help solve these problems at like a root cause level. And these are complex problems that we're not you know, claiming to solve every day, but we're part of a system that's trying to do something.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Series XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Randy Goldberg, who's the co-founder and chief brand officer of Bombas. Uh, Randy, so if we put together something I could teach in class about this. I think we we started with, you have to be authentic. And then I would add, based on what you just said, that the product is not irrelevant. That is, <clears throat> the product also has to be great. So authentic plus great product. But sure. um, as an introvert and technologist, I could be authentic. I could create a great product and my business would go nowhere. So you are the chief brand officer. Tell us about creating the bombus brand is starting with the name and, and what you've done to actually acquire customers and build the
0: movement. Um, first of all, it's a big team over the years that has helped and pitched out in this. And, you know, our, our initial intention, the, the name Bombus comes from the Latin word for bumblebee. Uh, bees are mm. altruistic animals. They live in a hive. They work together to w- make their world a better place. So there's a lot of inspiration in that for us. So our logo is a bee there's honeycomb motif throughout our products. And it also happens to be a naturally strong structure. So using that around the, the arch support for our product is kind of a no brainer and sort of the signature, um, visual look of our product. And you know, kind of hides in your shoe, but that's the secret. Like, if uh, you take off your shoe and you see somebody with the honeycomb, you know, they're wearing Bombas. So, um, we like that name. We like what it signals. Um, and our brand in the beginning was built on those two ideas we talked about, a commitment, a real commitment to making a difference in our community and a super high quality product, comfort and community. That's the same 10 years ago as it is today. And The purpose of the company hasn't changed. How we tell those stories, though, what we say, some of the products we make, sure, those things change. You have to go and meet people where they are in this world, right? Like as a marketer, as a brand person, you can't just sit back, make something beautiful and hope people come to you anymore. Maybe that's the way it worked 40, 50, 30 years ago, but now you've got to get out there and you've got to to attach yourself to people in the places where they're spending time. You've got to tell stories that cut through. You've got to speak in an authentic way that doesn't feel like marketing. And you also have to be honest that you're selling a product, you're a for-profit company, you're trying to do something real and enclose the loop, right? We could say all we want that we're donating products and but if people don't believe us, it's not going to work. They have to see the evidence, they have to hear from our, our giving partners, those organizations and charities, they have to hear from members, current people who are currently facing homelessness. There's a lot of work that we do in closing that feedback loop, connecting the dots between the mission and the customer, but also just making a really good product is a great advertisement in itself. You really need both things and making them work together was kind of our sauce from the beginning.
1: Yeah. So Randy, you are you were founded, if I read the history right, in 2013. So it's been uh, 10 years and yeah. does this not paying attention will think it was an overnight success but 10 years is a long time talk a little bit about the about the when you realize you had something here and it was really gonna it was really gonna grow and what did those milestones look like did it take off immediately or was this a slow ramp
0: you know it's hard to look back and think how we thought at those moments but i know you know you put together a business plan and you just wonder if anyone's even going to believe you or if it's going to work you know I mean, we believed in the idea, but, you know, we are also realistic about how very hard to make a business work from scratch, from nothing, having no money. So we did a crowdfunding campaign and, you know, to do that, we needed to do a video to compel that, the, you know, got people to sort of invest. It's sort of like a pre-sales idea. And we set a goal to do $15,000 in 30 days and we did $150,000 in pre-sales. So wow that was the first you know, yeah. time that strangers who weren't our parents or our friends said, we think this is a good idea and we're going to put some money into it. And so we're like, okay, this is a great proof point. Now let's take that money. Let's build a website. Let's do our first production run. And we build the website and we say, okay, how do you get people to show up here? You know, how, do you, how do you market a product like this in 2013? Well, some of it was... Okay, we have some experience with email. We have a small list that we built from crowdfunding. Let's work that. But then, you know, what can we do in a scrappy way? How can we start to, like, build a customer base? How can we communicate with them? What are are the things that we're great at? We just kind of worked it. And eventually, we realized we needed help with performance marketing. There was an opportunity. It was an interesting time for that, right, where the technology costs – if you were trying to launch an e-commerce website in 2005, let's say, the technology costs were prohibitively expensive and the marketing was basically free, right? So if you managed to have that and you could be on, so when social media first launched, if you could be there, all of your customers, everyone who followed you saw everything that you put out. There was no algorithm at the time. In our time, marketing costs had come up, but technology costs were basically free. But the marketing was still <clears throat> relatively inexpensive. So- we rode that wave a little bit and became, you know, students of how to tell great stories through Facebook. And the, as that platform was growing, that was the majority of our spend in the beginning. And then eventually you diversify and you think about other ways to get the word out and, you know, more organic channels or TV or, you know, you try and zag when people are zigging. And it's it's always evolving. The idea is just try to try and go p- make people pay attention a little bit. And think of you when they're going to buy the thing that you sell. And it's, it sounds simple, mm-hmm. but it's a complicated mix involving a lot of people. This company, a lot of a lot of people smarter than I am.
1: You know, you you did as you told that that narrative. You did give us a few really actionable things. So start with a crowdfunding campaign. I thought it was great. Start with a video to get the message out. Find out that people other than your friends and family will eat the dog food. And then get good at storytelling organic ways of reaching the customer so that's all good stuff um I, I i've sold some stuff direct to consumers and and i gotta tell you i i'm really scared of 45 five dollar price points on direct to consumer because at least in my world it costs me 40 bucks to to get a customer uh and so i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about acquisition and how you think about the customer journey and what the lifetime relationship is with the customer? How do you how do you make money with an? I don't know what your average ticket is, but but it's probably not four hundred dollars. Uh, so no, so how do you do you think of it as we gotta be we gotta have a greater share of sock drawer uh, over a lifetime? How do you how do you think about it and how do you think about the acquisition costs relative to lifetime value?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you know, they've gone up the CPAs have been rising steadily for 10 years, right? I mean, this stuff is not going down. It's not getting cheaper to acquire a customer. It's not getting easier to find people and talk to them, but we've been good at it since the beginning uh, and very focused on how things work and trying to find opportunities uh, within that world. And whether it was doing video before that was when it was like an early way of talking on social media, we were doing videos and, you know, Having an ad unit could be seen by a hundred million people because the economics of it were. And we've always been break-even or profitable on first purchase. It's just always mm. been how we've run the business. I you know a lot of our friends and peers have raised a lot of money and taking that money and used it to acquire customers, understanding that the, you know, the lifetime value, lifetime revenue over time, people were going to come back and spend enough. To justify the cost of acquisition even if they're losing money on the first purchase we just aren't wired that way so we put a lot of the responsibility in ourselves to find better creative better ways to articulate ourselves better opportunities within these companies to to, to market our our company and some of that is our internal structure we have a creative team a marketing team and a brand team that work together but are separate teams and sort of a tension triangle that we've built in on purpose to the company so that we're all checking each other. And some of it is just the conservative nature of having to holding ourselves to the standard of being at least break even or profitable on first purchase. So it's always been something we thought about. We've never had an outside creative agency. You know, there's just certain things that we want to do well in house. And this is one of them. And we've built the team over the years to help. Now, the mix has changed, right? I mentioned at one point we were 80% on Facebook, and that's way down. Obviously, you see where people are spending their time and what the numbers look like, and the mix is much more diverse, and we're in interesting places. But we're also not afraid to go and find people in places that might seem out of vogue or uninteresting or, you know, not the most flashy places to find customers, but we're looking everywhere, you know.
1: Yeah, well, Randy, I'm going to add your rule of thumb: be profitable on the first purchase to our to our playbook here because that's a, that's a great discipline. I mean, of course, it isn't always going to be right for every business, but I think it's great discipline to think about: can we make money on on the first purchase, or can we break even on the first purchase? Okay, we have time for for one last topic: um, the direct to consumer. Uh, sometimes called the Warby Parker of, of Warby Parkerification of, of of commerce has has gotten crushed in the last uh, couple of years. Um, I have noticed. I've that. had yes. I've had everybody. <laughs> I've had everybody on on my show. Many of my friends. My my very good friend Joey Smolinger, founder of Alberts. I mean, he's down ninety percent. Went public. You know, stock down ninety percent. What what's going on there? And is this is this uh, a change in the weather? or Is this temporary uh, storm? Uh, what what do you think is going on in direct to consumer and the way the markets have been, or the way the markets have valued cons- direct to consumer businesses?
0: I think it's. Listen, a good business is a good business, and good businesses will come through this and weather that storm. And valuations, you know, may come back, you know, at the levels they were over the last five years, but. You can make the argument that those valuations were unrealistic and being propped mm-hmm. up by the way companies were raising money and then it's impossible for me to say, but I think if you look at a company and you know, you're growing your revenue and you're EBITDA positive and you're a profitable company, your valuation will be fair. And you know, it's not always the case. I do think there's a bit of a bias built into the marketplace, and that'll probably shake itself out. But I think you'll see some companies who have done what we talked about, where they're raising a lot of money and spending a lot of money, and not don't have a ton to show for it, except maybe some revenue growth. I think some of that, those companies, you know, unfortunately may go by the wayside. But it's just fundamentals always matter, and if you think about that, I think whether you're a direct-to-consumer company or seem like you came from this time frame or a specific place, you know, good business is a good business, and that's all right.
1: All right. Well, Randy, we're we're out of time. That's a great coda to our playbook. Uh, Make something people want, sell it for more than it costs you to make it, and uh, and earn some money. And that's a great business. So uh, thanks so much for making the time. Thanks for having me. All right. To follow Bombas, probably best place is just bombas.com. Once again, that's B-O-M-B-A-S.com. We need to take a short break. When we're back, I'll be talking with Ariel Kay, who's the founder of Parachute Home. You've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.